0: On this month's Healing 101, I will be speaking with incredible male experts about various different mental health disorders and treatments to mark Men's Mental Health Month. In England, around one in eight men has a common mental health problem such as depression, anxiety, panic disorder or addiction. It's important that we look at what factors affect men's mental health and how we can help more men find help and support. So when they do decide to ask for more help or guidance, we want to ensure that they all have the information that they need and we hope that this mini-series might provide them with a wealth of information and some new research that might address some of their questions. On today's Healing 101, I am joined by Clinical Director and CBT Therapist, Lee Grant, to talk about men's sexual health and its impact on mental health. For instance, amongst men suffering from severe depression the rate of erectile dysfunction may reach up to 90%. But despite the significance and high incidence of sexual dysfunction in men, most individuals who suffer do not seek help because they are embarrassed. Sexual health definitely still remains taboo, and reclaiming it as a fundamental aspect of mental health should be a top priority. I'd love to start by asking about what the most common issues that men experience with regard to their sexual health are.
1: And no, a good question to start off with is kind of what is men's sexual health? And it's probably the hardest question to answer. You know, it's a dissertation question. So, you know, very briefly, really, in terms of what men present with, when they present with pure um, sexual dysfunction or sex problems to help with, it is usually erectile dysfunction or premature ejaculation. Now, to complicate that, or or even to make it even simpler, actually, to... uh, contradicts myself in the one sentence is usually they present together so they are very different problems so premature ejaculation is when a man's coming too quickly for it to be pleasurable or enjoyable for himself or his partner and and there's no really correct time it is it's just on that subjective experience it just wasn't long enough to be enjoyable and then you've got erectile dysfunction uh, erectile failure where it's an inability to maintain or for the diagnostic criteria it's, it's a marked inability to maintain or gain an erection for um, either masturbating or having sex with somebody else and it's that part about having a marked interference or difficulty again it can be a very subjective experience you may or might may not know pandora but as as men get older you know the erections tend to wax and wane as they should do as we have a sexual experience um so some men find a normal change as as being a disorder when it's not really such just actually the natural process
0: and forgive my ignorance but does it tend to be something that is often driven by anxiety and anxiety can exacerbate the problem or is there usually a root cause that you can identify that's genetic and medical
1: This is where it gets complicated, Um, but you know, thinking about your question is: can it be caused by anxiety? And we have to remember that anxiety is a perfectly normal, natural emotion. Everybody experiences anxiety at some stage or other. So, in a way, that's our natural body's response to think about how can we contain or maintain with a threat. So, if we're nervous about having sex, we've got concerns about. Uh, performance in terms of will the person be judging me will i last too long will they enjoy it all of those thoughts of the future if something go wrong it's likely to cause somebody to feel anxious when we're anxious we're more likely to tune in to anxious thoughts no i'm sure they really will think this because i'm really anxious now if i can feel it they must notice it or this anxiety is going to distract from the experience so in a way it can be kind of a feedback loop almost a figure eight, so to speak where anxiety can just and bounce off itself generally what it is it's the anxiety disorders that can cause problems so if somebody has let's say an anxiety disorder such as social anxiety they've constantly got a fear of, of negative evaluation people going to think negative things about them that's going to happen in the workplace a presentation going to the shops to buy a pint of milk it's also going to happen in the bedroom as well so in a way the anxiety disorders can lead to them but they can also cause anxiety in its own right and then we've got the whole bit about depression and mood because, you know, one of the symptoms of depression is low libido. So sometimes it can be presented as sexual dysfunction when it's actually a depression.
0: Why is there so much taboo and shame surrounding men's sexual health issues, and particularly as you've alluded to, the premature ejaculation? And-
1: it's difficult. There's a part about um, stigma. Now, if you think about stigma, where that comes from, we, we tend to think about stigma as kind of it's out there, it's outside, but generally, originate from ourselves where we think we're going to be judged negatively or people aren't going to like to talk about that so that happens all across mental health and it could be things where they see um having mental health problems or difficulties as a weakness so therefore they don't want to be judged negatively when it comes to sexual health problems it ties in with those things that you know people should be able to perform people should be able to have sex people should be comfortable and when we've got those assumptions and those beliefs and they become too tight. Because I hope you hear when I say that, you know, do we expect all men to be able to, at the drop of a happy, being able to have sex and make an enjoyable experience for themselves and the partner, or if they masturbate on their own all the time? I think most people will go, well, that's a bit unrealistic. But when we have those assumptions, where we kind of forget that and we get caught up with it, it can be difficult for people to talk about it as a problem in their own rights. And then you've got the general things where we just don't really tend to like talking about sex as a general problem or a difficulty. And as part of it, is, that's normal. You know, I don't want my dad to talk to me about his sexual difficulties he may or may not have with my mother. And I, I know when I've talked to my daughter, you know, when we've had things going on in her relationships and maybe she said, Dad, I really don't want to talk to you about this. I'll talk to my friends. So there's a part we have to accept that there's a normal bit that we, we don't want to talk with people about private and intimate, sensual things. But then... I think it becomes a little bit too tight when we don't want to do that with friends. We don't want to do that with a doctor when there's a problem, and that's part of time where we just really need to take a leaf out of my book and be comfortable talking about masturbations and erections and everything else of the job I have. I think that's okay, and what we can do is just use very specific terms, descriptive, without being embarrassed and just being yes yeah, specific. That can help to overcome those difficulties. I think
0: it is extraordinary how it's such a. I mean, look, it's at the foundation of you know, our very essence. Like we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for people having sex. Yeah. And yet when something goes wrong, it does become this immensely taboo, shameful thing because there's that belief of, Oh, there's something wrong with me. I'm less than it's very similar to having a mental health issue. It's not as though you've got a cancerous growth inside you or a tumour that can be blasted with chemotherapy. And it's the same often with mental health, is that they feel, why can't I fix myself? Like, this is so frustrating. I should be able to do this alone. And when something's a natural course of nature, which again is also a taboo topic where people aren't educated enough to know that actually this is something that really does happen to a lot of people and can be treated and, and you can get help for it, It's a really tough predicament to be faced with, I think.
1: Absolutely, Pento. And what I would also add to that is it is not also perfectly treatable. It is one of the most easiest things to treat when you've got somebody in the room. I think the first bit we've got to think about is why they're not addressing it as a problem when coming in is because they don't think it is something that's treatable or a disorder. They can see it as part of them. We see that in social anxiety disorder. People think oh, I'm just shy. It's just the way I am. It's just the way I'm hardwired. Rather than thinking there's tools and techniques or depression. We can just change some behaviours. Sexual dysfunctions are very similar. You know, at the end of the day, sex is a habit. It just doesn't come on overnight. It's usually a slow period where it comes on because we get into these patterns of doing things in a particular way, or they can be in helpful ways. So addressing those behaviors and getting people to do things slightly different, and it can be really small changes that make such a big difference, not always. The reason why it's one of the most easiest things to treat, and bulimia, nervosa, out of all the eating disorders, I think falls into the same camp as well. Once you've got to understand the maintaining problem, once you know the behavior that's getting in the way... Either that you're doing too much or too little of, and it becomes a target to do some experimentation with about either stopping it or over focusing on. See if it makes it worse. Then if it makes it worse, you need to take it away. But the thing is, everybody does their homework, and they do and believe you as well. And I think it's be- what's different about these disorders: anxiety, depression. They're all about avoidance, withdrawal. Nobody wants to go out and do their their homework to overcome panic or the homework to overcome depression. It means pushing people into an uncomfortable zone. So it's when we come to sexual drives and eating drives, they're both behaviors that people are motivated to do. So in a way to do the homework, they're probably doing it or motivated or the libido's getting them going or the appetite's getting them going. All we need to do is just attach onto those drives and think about doing some things different when they're experienced. So it can be one of the most easy things to treat.
0: So a great segue on to my next question, which is how do you treat particularly as we focused on erectile dysfunction and premature ejaculation?
1: It is, first of all, going back to trying to understand what is the maintaining problem within this. So starting off at the first line, we have to think, is there something organic taking place? Is there something about, maybe it might be something about their blood levels that might need to be checked? We can find that. So if a man's having his early morning erections, um, but still not be able to perform in the rest of the day. It's probably psychological. If they're absent, there might be something physically taking place. And then we've got to think about, is it actually a primary sexual problem? So if somebody's depressed, and what we don't talk about, and what we really like to do in a CBT assessment, is check out if somebody's taking an SSRI medication, fluoxetine, peroxetine, et cetera. There's somewhere in the region 40 to 50% of men are experience some sexual dysfunction just as a side effect of that medication. So is it actually? It's not the sexual dysfunction, but then giving you complications in your life in other areas, and that you might need to think it's a side effect of a medication. Then you've got depression there. It might be treating first thing to go when we start to have a low mood is our libido, know, our interest in sex. As we become more and more depressed or lower, and depression comes along as an illness, then we've got all the other biological features. But the last thing we are really thinking about doing when we're depressed is having sex. But well, if that becomes the main problem or focus in life, they can present with that's the problem. So if that's the case, you treat the depression. Keep on going back to sociophobia. It's the easiest one because that happens a lot in the performance era of sexual dysfunction. It can be just of social anxiety you need to treat. Or if it's panic, once I had a gym instructor where he found it very hard to go over 120 to 30 beats per minute because he thought you'd have a heart attack. So his panic was very much associated with that. He could contain that when he was having sex, he could feel his heartbeat going up as his arousal levels were going up, which is perfectly normal, but he jumped into the thoughts of, I'm having a heart attack, I'm going to die, and then obviously got caught up in a panic. So it's thinking about what is the maintaining problem associated there. When it comes to a pure sexual dysfunction, the main focus is really trying to help somebody. If they're coming too quickly, Is trying to take the focus off being able to come. So you're not looking at the destination. You're trying to get the person to think about how can they enjoy the journey and tune into the body, the sensual side of what's happening. We use masturbation training to do that. It might be if they have a partner to think about sensual massage, we'll start that gradually. If they're dysfunction, out this function, uh, sorry, an inability to gain an erection, can be very similar techniques of really trying to get them to think about how they can use their mind in terms of erotic thoughts or sensations and tuning into what's happening to get the apparatus working and, and functioning all as they want to. You never really treat two people the same. So it's a really hard question to answer because it's taken the principles of thinking about where you make the tweaks. So I'm giving you a very general view, but as I say, no treatment is, is exactly the same.
0: And how often do partners get involved? And do you think that's helpful?
1: Very much so. What we're really looking for is to have the partners involved right from the beginning, want to give us an understanding of how they see the problem and also to think about, you know, Is it part of what they're saying might be maintaining the problem in some way? Not in a mean way or deliberate way. You know, nobody would do that really. and I've never seen anybody deliberately do that. Um, But it's giving them some pointers about how to help. And also, what we want to do is when we're setting up a homework, having the partner involved on that, if there is a partner, it means that they can be, you know, kind of their co-therapist, so to speak, and can be part of helping them to shape the homework and the tasks they need to do and playing their part. And also giving the reassurance, because you know, sometimes some guys, what they have, you know, if it all goes wrong, I'm going to say, oh, forget this, it's just not working, get me hopeless, I'll try again later. Well, actually, if you've got part of there, they can just bring in a measured approach and think, oh, yeah, but, you know, maybe we could do this, you know, raise an eyebrow, sneaky little laugh, you know, keep it all a little bit fun of what sex should be and keeping the games going as well.
0: And what do you do with clients when that approach isn't working? You've tried to soothe their anxiety, change the thought process, get the partner involved. What's the next step then?
1: So with sexual dysfunction, most people really do get better. We're looking at the low 90% where people make a full recovery. So it's quite rare for people not to get better. However, it does happen. Um, And you've got to think about what is it we're missing So it might be that we went on a psychological approach and actually maybe we might need some physical investigations or something, or there might be another disorder taking place. So it's really kind of going back and thinking, well, if it's not getting better, we've missed something. What would that be making sure they're on the right path? But most people do make some improvements uh, because we're changing some things and everything can be improved as well. So at those stages, if we think we've actually, we give this a good crack at the way priority and we've done as best we can, We have to think about how we can build this in a relapse prevention plan to make sex enjoyable as much as possible in the limitations of what we have or the gains that we've made. But also, let's say with depression, the study so far, we can take that. We've got to think about coming to see a CBT therapist or any therapist might be just a stepping stone of a recovery journey for a lot of people. So we've got to think about, Now might not be the right time, might not be the right place, might not be the right therapy, not the right therapist. To think about what comes next, but more so, what can we take what we've learned here and those gains to add to our learning experience to go on to the next stage.
0: This episode of Hurt to Healing is sponsored by our friends at The AND Partnership. The AND Partnership is a global communications business working with clients like Toyota, Mars, coca-cola and natwest as well as charities like the princess trust and rnib they believe that by bringing diverse talent together in partnership they can transform the way that great brands are built they call it the power of and on the hurt to healing podcast we know that having honest conversations about mental health can help us to see different points of view and to better understand ourselves just like the AND Partnership's belief in the power of AND, we believe that by coming together to share our stories, we make ourselves and each other stronger. To find out more about the work the AND Partnership creates, visit theandpartnership.com. That's T H E A N D partnership.com. And a massive thank you to the AND Partnership for supporting my mission and showing what we can achieve when we come together you refer to CBT, would you say that your method of treatment is based on the foundations of cognitive behavioral therapy?
1: More so now. So cognitive behavioral therapy is a kind of a hodgepodge of many different theories, behavioralism, cognitive theory. CBT is a theory in its own right really doesn't exist. But I think probably before I'm a CBT therapist, I'm an evidence-based therapist. But basically, if it works, I think it's cognitive behavioral therapy. (laughs) <laughs> to worry the other way around, and I think that's because what we need to move with is I used to teach at King's College London on their MSC courses. around the programs there. And what we were teaching then isn't what we're really doing now. We're constantly updating with the evidence base to try to make some adaptions and changes as we learn and find out a little bit more. So, yes, I'm a CBT therapist, but I don't know what we're going to call it in 10, 20 years' time, it, but it will be different. It will be different.
0: What have those adaptions and advances looked like in the last five years?
1: Well, more so, it's what we've had to respond to. So we've had to respond to a great more use of medications for men. So Phenogen, Viagra, all the medications and brands are available, which also say, But they're the main ones that seem to come through. Now, they are really, really effective and really good and will they will get everything functional and working and operational. However, it takes little effort. And if you think what we're doing in a psychosocial-type model, we're trying to teach people how to do it for themselves, how to use their physical experiences, their thoughts, in order to gain an erection, maintain it, and also ejaculate a time that's comfortable for them. Using the medication takes that away. So we've got somebody who kind of knows it works. I suppose it's a little bit like, I, I don't know, if I get a little bit um, anxious or not in the mood to go out to a party, so I might have a little nip of something um, strong to go out. Quite a few people do that. When I do it every time, and then when I maybe I turn up a little bit too drunk, or when I actually turn up plastics you think you use you become reliant on the substance, and that's what can happen on those medications. The other thing, so we have to address that and think about how we, what we call them as safety-seeking behaviors or talismans, really in a way. About how can they remove their psychological reliance on them when they actually do help? And there's some experiments we need to do about them. The other one is um, access to porn. Um, now, when I first started to train, you know, pornography wasn't on the easy access that people would say, you know, if a guy wants porn, you'd have to go into the local corner shop and wait for everybody to leave and then discreetly, in a very embarrassed way, ask the gentleman if he could have something from the top shirt. That doesn't happen now. So the use of porn means that people are getting very highly intense erotic images very quickly, which is obviously very erotic and stimulating can lead to ejaculation very quickly without having to do all the work and the thoughts and the relationship building or thinking about how they work through that with a partner. And also because sex is a habit, it means that they're teaching themselves to come very quickly without actually learning the skills about how to wax and wane, to think about and and to think about fantasy. And also, which is very uncomfortable, is picking up some very uncomfortable and difficult assumptions about what sex is. If you're constantly exposed to something like, let's say it was a bit rough, aggressive, and thinking about that's what women would like. Then you've got those psychoeducational pieces, which seems so normal. But because sex is a habit, you just get caught up with this is what it is without stopping and thinking. that it's not the case.
0: It's very interesting because, you know, for sex to be functional as well as to be emotional and erotic and all those things, I mean, there are so many layers of sex and what a healthy sexual relationship looks like and I think as you said porn has thrown a real spanner in the works because I think this huge surge in porn and the accessibility with the internet and I think people's idea of what just any sexual act or behavior or sex looks like now is just being wildly distorted and I mean, I can't help but think that that must affect men's sexual health.
1: And women's as well. I, I, I yeah. don't think it's a, it's a sex-specific problem. And we see that in the clinic on male and female side, more so because men present more with sexual dysfunction to sexual difficulties. But yeah, it is a big problem. And you know, we are talking about what happens when we have children who have a lot of access to self-harm and what that happens when they're getting, you know, when they link on one particular image or they get another one and get something stronger. We know the difficulties that's presenting you when you just get, you know, it's okay to harm yourself and you don't get any other information around that. But also, on the same side, that's what's happening in the, those devices. They're just getting exposed to a lot of sexual images as well. Like just going down one route and there's one message that we're seeing. However, we're not talking about that. We're not talking to our children about that.
0: Yeah, and I think schools have got a long way to go as well because I think it's a topic that actually really needs to be addressed in the classroom because actually teachers are well positioned to do that. I think, as as we said earlier, it's often such a, an awkward subject to address between parents and children. And in fact, if it is a part of the curriculum and, and if teachers do start to speak to children although they might shirk away at first actually in the long term it, it could do something and and I only refer to men's sexual health in relation to porn because that's what this episode is about but I mean uh, yes there's lots of evidence to suggest and and possibly if not more you know I mean it's certainly in women's magazines it's a subject that is a real focus you women's inability to orgasm the fact that they pretend to orgasm constantly because they want their partner to feel that they're being satisfied when in fact they're not. And then all this stuff that around image and body image and what the naked female body has been now idealized to look like. And it's created a, a multitude of complexities, I think around sex in general.
1: To a lesser extent, because you know I have seen men who had, it's, it's, it's another problem we haven't talked about. It's quite rare. It's retarded ejaculation. And what those men will do, they will do, they will pretend to ejaculate and um, they will, fake the orgasm as well. So we've got a part where men can do that as well. It is a lot rarer, yeah, but there is a condition where they can be quite skilled at doing those things as well. And body images as well, you know, when you have to go to a gym and see the distorted images men are trying to keep up to or live towards, which are quite unrealistic as well. Um, but those parts of, you know, is it the parents of the schools who started to talk about them? attempts of self-disclosure, I went to a Roman Catholic convent school. But in that... At the age of 13, in biology, they talked about sex, the mechanics of it. When it came to divinity, which was religious education, they talked about what God wanted us to do with sex. But they talked about from an emotional sense of what sex should be like. Now, it was quite odd having a nun speak to you about sex, education, but from an emotional sense of being close. And we got fame, 12, 13, we got very clear messages of what it should be like. I've often thought about when I've heard my own children, they've talked about what they're lessons they're getting in schools about once an image is out there it's out there forever be careful what you share i think really good sound um, i'm really happy with the education they got about it but they didn't get anything about sex and porn but i thought i always thought it could be replaced if you're uncomfortable doing that people say well they don't know about it i don't want to tell them about it i can get that bit but actually what you could do is talk to people this is what a relationship is like it is close and this is how you start off on a first date maybe after you get to know someone and you feel safe and if you're uncomfortable with anybody, you might want to start to share with them. Once you feel safe with them and trust that they're not going to ridicule you, that's the time to start thinking about it I don't know. I haven't read the moment on that one. I'm just thinking stuff at the top I'm sure there are ways which we can introduce children to this um, without going straight in there and saying, it's bad. Don't do it. It'll fall off, which is definitely the images we don't want to give them.
0: So, are you seeing more men speaking about issues related to sexual health at the moment
1: yes we've um we don't have the the wife making the appointment anymore um it's been a long time since oh they, they still happen or the partner making those appointments usually it's motivated by themselves where they've been a lot more comfortable to do that. I do think that is a shift where men are a lot more comfortable coming into the room and also a lot more comfortable talking about it. Um, very early on. it would be very people just did, just didn't have the language you know for it. Um, know how to describe what the problems are, but they can come in very matter of fact and say, This is what's wrong. Not always, but um, I think generally a lot of people are coming in more comfortable to, well, at least talk to me about it.
0: So, would you advise anyone who's any man at the moment who's listening to this and who is suffering with something related to sexual health to come and seek help?
1: I know the answer should be yes, but I, I really like the idea that in a way, a therapist or any healthcare profession really should, when it comes to our mental health, of course, when we're in a crisis, it needs to be the first protocol to keep everything safe. But the best learning comes from doing some of those things ourselves and making some of those changes. So it might be, first of all, just taking the time out to talk to your partner about this or talk to your friends if you're comfortable to do so. We all say it's good to talk, but we can talk in different ways. You know, it's about communicating with them. that like You might be anxious in a sexual experience with somebody, so they can give them the opportunity to do something different. Again, it only takes some small changes to make all the difference, when, but it can also be just thinking about well, what can I do for myself? And um, I used to love taking the first day in the MSc, these were healthcare professionals. and just like taking them the first day just to say, Well, now you've had been interviewed on the course, we know you've read the homework, we know you've done this. So, what are we going to teach you over the next two years? And all go around and this and this and. No one would ever get what I was looking for. It wasn't really a Socratic question. I knew the answer in my head. And Basically, we wanted to give you an MSC in practical common sense. And I think that's all we're doing is actually, and I don't want to dumb it down because there's loads of science behind it as well, but it is basically making some small changes once we've identified the maintaining problem. And we also have to remember every patient who comes in is the expert in the problem. We are the experts in the books and CBT and the rest of it, whatever the modality they know that problem inside of They know where it's come from, and where it started. They know the bits that cook their noodle and really activate it. And it's how can you think about getting the anxiety down then? Or if you know that you know, you're a guy who's always going to porn, have you ever tried masturbating without porn? You know, have you ever tried to use your fantasies and mind to become sexually aroused? You know, and it's thinking about how they can use touch and sensual ways in different ways. That doesn't sound like such a hard thing to ask people out there to try and do, really. you know, We're a great homework to go off and do before you go to the doctor. If you do notice, though, it doesn't matter what you're doing, the apparatus isn't working, you know, you're not able to get an erection, and you think it's more global, and those early morning erections are absent, I would say then is a good time to speak to a GP and just get your blood checked and making sure that there's testosterone levels for for instance, are fine, and there's no other problems going on. So, yes, do speak to somebody. But before you do that, you don't have to make it your first protocol. You can think about what you might need to change
0: I'm also as finally curious with more and more people taking antidepressants and selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, SSRIs, which definitely, as we again have spoken about, suppress your libido. How you work with a client who is taking quite a high dose of an antidepressant or an SSRI, and whether you encourage them to come off it if they want to restore their sexual health
1: i really don't mean this is a fudge answer this is a genuine part As we cannot tell somebody to come off an antidepressants or not because in a legal sense it's the doctor who's pushing not to make that decision but ignoring that bit we really need to help a patient to make those decisions and weigh them up so it's looking at what are the problems and difficulties that my depression gives me in terms of and the medication the benefits it gives me or have i explored other ways to get better we know You know, medication has a really good evidence base to help depression. So does cognitive behavioral therapy. Have you tried both? If you augment them, they kind of help each other to get some behavioral change. So you might be taking all the antidepressants in the world, but if you're not making those behavioral changes, you're not going to have any serotonin hooks to build those experiences on to give you a a better, sustainable, lasting, better mood. You know, depression, you don't get depression. Depression is the absence of pleasure and enjoyment and accomplishment. So is it that we could actually think about doing some things different to get the depression go? So you don't need the antidepressant. And then we've got the part where a gentleman I saw recently, he was uh, very, very reluctant. He, he came to me depressed, but he didn't want to go on Soroxat Cirox- um, because he knows it works and it gets his depression worked. He's had multiple relapses. He now wants to try CBT. His GP was saying on the antidepressant again. He didn't want to go on it because gives them sexual problems, and also gains weight. And you think about of why not try a different medication? Why not go for Citalopram or something and go back to your GP and think about there's lots of other medications you can use that wouldn't necessarily give you a sexual problem, but you give it to another man and it would. And you know it's that unknown area of, we know generally with the antidepressants that you're more likely with Citalopram to have a little bit of a gritty feeling in your stomach for the first three to four days taking it. I think 30% of people. But not everybody does. You know, and it's the same with all of those side effects of them. Some people get them, some don't. So it's about giving them the information for them to make the best decision for them at that time, given the circumstances of what's going on.
0: Is there anything else that you'd like to say and leave the listeners with that we haven't covered?
1: Well, one thing I really would love to say to people is it is perfectly, perfectly treatable. And for sexual dysfunction, male sexual dysfunction is one of the easiest things to treat. And we can usually get people better in about six, probably six to nine sessions for most common mental health problems. We're looking between 10 and 12 sessions, max 16, really. But, you know, generally is a mean. So there's something about these sexual dysfunctions uh, for men. They are easy to treat. We can get them better quicker. And also depression is one of the is very easy to treat. The hard part with depression is actually keeping somebody well sexual dysfunction it's not like that it's because you, you've got that sex drive you're constantly going with the drive and you can just build on the experience so a sex can be really really an unfortunate and unhappy period of your life it is one of the most easy things to treat and for me one of the most enjoyable you know i remember turning around here in this chair and i sort of what's that message and just as a turned around for somebody i hadn't seen uh, for a few years, and he sent me a picture of his second baby. The baby was born that morning. And, you know, think the first person you think about is your therapist. Maybe he wasn't thinking, that's the guy who gave me an erection. But, you know, or anything of that. But on that moment when he's in the hospital, there's a bit where you're going, you can give somebody so much pleasure, not just in sex, but when you can have a sexual relationship, and it's healthy and it's good, the romance, the giggling, all of that stuff. And the children, and the grandchildren and it goes on so to the listeners i would say i have the best job in the world and that's because you guys can get better and i just love to give you a great big injection of hope
0: well that's an incredibly uplifting note to end on and i'm really grateful for your time today lee and what an extraordinary conversation which i definitely didn't think i would be having six months ago that's for sure
1: (laughs) (laughs) true 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 in all honesty I never thought I'd be having these conversations in public as well. But there you go. Nothing stays the same forever.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Healing 101. Just a reminder that if you're struggling or in need of someone to talk to, please remember to text SHOUT to 85258.